Last week we saw uh, that Jesus has already resurrected from dead and he has appeared to Mary Magdalene and she said, I have seen the Lord, I have seen the Lord and the tomb was empty. It's, it's remarkable that the first people or the first person that saw Jesus, the resurrected Lord, are the women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna and everything and all of the four Gospels witness to this fact. And I suspect why women, you know, why women were privileged for this position. I think men, when his disciples deserted him, when they disowned him, when they left him, it was the women who followed him until the end. Now, they were very courageous enough to even visit the tomb on that Sunday morning. And it was Mary who had this privilege of seeing the resurrected Lord. Our text for this morning begins on that day, on that Sunday, on that resurrection day. It's on the evening of that day. A lot of things have happened in the past. Jesus was betrayed by his own. He was arrested, flogged, put into a mock uh, court, sentenced to be crucified. He carried his own cross. He was put on the cross and he died on the cross. He does not deserve to be treated this way. It's for your sake, it's for my sake that the perfect, sinless, pure God paid the penalty for our sins. You can imagine how his disciples must have felt on that day, on that week. They were following Jesus. They were hoping that Jesus would restore the kingdom of Israel. But now they are on the run for their lives. They are afraid. If this is what they did to Jesus... What are they going to do to us? They are going to hunt us down and kill us. We are going to face the same fate that Jesus had faced. So they came together. They came together because word has come to them that Mary has seen Jesus and that he has sent words to them. So on that day, they met behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. They had this question on their mind. Did really Jesus rose from the dead? Can we trust our sister Mary who brought words that she has seen Jesus? Or was, it, was it she thinking right? Did Jesus victoriously rose from the dead? Can we trust the news? And if Jesus rose from the dead, how is that going to affect our lives? You know, the disciples were in the state of fear, confusion, doubts, and questions were all running in their minds as they were sitting on that day, on that evening day. What was your reaction when you, saw, when you heard the gospel for the first time? Did you believe it at once? Did you never have any questions in your minds? What about you, young men, children, and everyone here? When you heard the gospel message that God loved you, that Jesus came to die for your sins, did you say, yes, amen, I believe it? I certainly did not. I, was, I thought these people are crazy. You know, when I came to church and I heard the gospel message for the first time, what are these people talking about? My reactions were, these guys are crazy. 
Many people have no problem about Jesus, the personal Jesus, that Jesus lived some long time ago, that he was, you know, that he died like any other person. But the truth that Jesus came to die for our sin and that he, he died and rose again, well, that is a different story. So how, now that Jesus rose from the dead, how should we live as a resurrected Jesus believers? Our text comes from John chapter 20. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, let's stand together and read God's word. John chapter 12, verses 19 to 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hands and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, Praise be to God. You may be seated. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to die for our sins and that he rose victoriously on that resurrection day, Lord. May we live by the power of your spirit on that day. Even as we look into your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to listen and to take heart and do the things that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So on that evening day, when all the disciples were together on this upper room, Jesus suddenly appeared to them. Now the text is not clear that how Jesus came into that room. You know, the doors were locked, 
Everyone was afraid, and they were all seated together, and Jesus stepped into that. Maybe the doors miraculously opened, or maybe Jesus passed through the walls. I don't know, and the text is not clear. But what it just says is Jesus came and stood. So this is Jesus' first appearance to the disciples. He appeared to them in John's Gospel three times. One time to Mary, but to the disciples three times. And he just came and stood. So I have three points for us this morning. The first one is the resurrection. Life is to be lived not in fear, but in peace. The first thing that Jesus said when he appeared to the disciples was, Peace be with you. And he said that three times. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, this is a common greeting in Jesus' day. Even today we use that, right? Salamno, de nachu, salam nachu. So Jesus was saying, peace be with you. But the disciples were in desperate need of his peace, of his presence. Now, they have left. The disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They did not have any fallback plans. They have surrendered it all. What's more now? Jesus has already died, and the people that killed Jesus are looking after them, and they, are, they don't know what to do. They are in hiding. They are afraid. They are confused. They are without hope, without anything. And, and also, Mary came and told them that she has seen the Lord. It just compounded their confusion. And also, you remember in, in Luke's gospel, two of Jesus' disciples that were not part of the trade, they came and reported that they met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they came, they called this meeting together. In the midst of that confusion and chaos, Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. Jesus' presence brought peace and joy into their state of chaos, doubts, confusions and questions. My brothers and sisters, it's only Jesus who can bring and give peace because he is our prince of peace. In John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. It's not other world gift that I give to you. Again, also in John 16, on the same gospel, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What do we have in the world? You have tribulations in the world, but in me you have peace. Paul also said to the Colossians in Colossians 3.15, he said, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are indeed called. My friends, where do you want, do you want this peace? Where is this peace? The world will not give us this peace. The world does not know this peace. It may appear to give us peace, but it doesn't know it, nor can it give it. Let's look around. Where is peace? Where do we find peace? There is chaos, confusion, war, strife, difficulties, dissatisfaction everywhere. It's only those who put their faith and trust and hope in Christ that they get to experience the joy that comes from him. Jesus' resurrection from the dead made peace between God and man. We were enemies of God because of our sin, but because of what Christ has done on the cross, we have this peace with us. 
So my first point is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only real, but he spoke words of peace to those who were held captive by fear. Church, what are we afraid today? What keeps us awake at night? What is it that is bothering you? I think we can list so many things that keeps us awake at night. Maybe we are afraid of the economy. The economy is not doing so well. When I'm conversing with people, a lot of people are complaining about the inflation, the rise of prices. I even complained about my sheep. People complain and they're afraid about the wars. We're afraid for our families, for our children. Maybe you are afraid that we have not done enough for the Lord, for his kingdom, and time is running out on us. But let us allow the peace of Christ to rule our hearts. Because the first thing that Jesus said, uh, said the resurrected Christ, the first thing that he said was, peace be with you. His presence brought about peace. He has made peace between God and man just like us. Let us allow his peace to rule our hearts. May we meditate on his peace. The second point I would like to make is the disciples. Now that they met Jesus, now that they met the resurrected Christ, the disciples are to go out and proclaim the good news. The resurrection life is to be lived not in hiding, not in locking ourselves in, but in the going, in being saint. In verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And he said, and he praised on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, and it's withhold. Here clearly we see Trinity in action. The Father sent the Son, and the Son raised the Holy Spirit who empowered the disciples to go out and proclaim the good news. Jesus breathed into his disciples just like in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7, when man was formed. It reads, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. You see, without Jesus, they were dead. They were powerless to carry out the mission. Previously, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things. He will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Paul also said in Romans 8, 11, he said, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal body through the Spirit who dwells in you. Without the Holy Spirit's help, the disciples would not have been able to do all the things that they did in the book of Acts. Now that Jesus is going to the Father. But the disciples are to continue serving in his mission field. 
They can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. In and of themselves, they are powerless to do all of those things. They needed his help. Just as Jesus was commissioned by the Holy Spirit, now Jesus, in return, is commissioning his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and declare the message of the gospel. This is just like what Matthew is saying in, the, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This is his equivalent of saying, go and do likewise. Jesus invested a lot on his disciples. They have been with him. They have seen him teach. They have seen him do all of those things. Now it is upon them. Jesus is handing over his mission, all the things that he did to these men and women. They are to go and make disciples of the nation. When people gladly accept their message, their sins will be forgiven. And if, you, if they refuse to accept the message of the gospel, they will continue to be held bondage to sin. You see, it's only God who forgives. Sometimes people come to my office as a pastor. They will tell me, I have done this, I have done that. There are all sorts of things. But I say, I cannot forgive you. <laughs> I don't have any power to forgive. It's only God who has the power to forgive. But we can pray together and we can receive God's forgiveness from him. But the proclamation of the gospel offers us an opportunity for any person to have their sins removed. But if people refuse to receive the gospel message, they will still be held captive to their sins. Church, we have a mission, right? Our mission is to go and declare the gospel, to make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. Whatever we do is the continuation of what Christ has started on that day. Last Thursday, uh, two days ago, we had this opportunity of bringing about 30, more than 30 people into our church. They all came from our neighborhood. They were really struggling, you know, the economy is not doing well. So we brought them in. We wanted to express God's love to them. So we prepared some things for them. And as they were coming, we sat down and we got the chance to talk about the gospel. We asked them all sorts of questions, and they had some questions. But that opportunity gave us to declare the message of the gospel for them. We not only give them something, something material, but we also give them the word that Christ loved them, that Christ died for them, that he rose victoriously to give them a, to give them a new life. That excites me. Because as a church, we are to continue the mission of Jesus. We are the continuation. We are on that continuum. We are also, as a church, gearing up to send our brother, Bernard, and his wife as a missionary to North Africa. They are going to be the first missionaries from this church. My prayer is that they would not be the first, but we would... There will be many more that will go out from this place that we will be able to send out more missionaries, support more missionaries as a church because that's the continuation of what Christ has entrusted into our care. 
Some of you may be already missionaries here in Ethiopia. And we bless the Lord for the work that you are doing in this nation. We thank the Lord for your contribution. Sometimes we may have slept, we may have drifted away, but you coming here has given us the momentum to go and labor in the harvest field. And that gives me joy. You have also left everything. You took a huge risk to come here and work in God's mission field. It's not only you as parents and adults, but also your children are also part of those missionaries. Last week I met someone whose father was a missionary. These are like second generation missionaries. There are third generation missionaries. And that excites me because that's the continuation of what Jesus has commanded us to do, to go. Some of us may not necessarily have to travel, but wherever we are, wherever God placed us, that's our mission field. We may be engineers, doctors, guards, cleaners, whatever we are. Wherever the Lord has placed us, that is our mission field. We can be partners in small and big ways in advancing the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom into the nations. There is no one who's excused. You cannot just say, no, this is not for me. I'm, I have other things. We don't have any other things. Jesus' mission is our mission. We do, we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not like we have to do this by our own, but Jesus has given us His Spirit to go and continue to make disciples of the nations. Amen? Do you feel encouraged? I only hear yes from this side. <laughs> the last point is... The resurrection life is to believe not in unbelief, but in belief. Is there enough evidence to prove that Jesus really rose from the dead? Because there are many people who doubted that Jesus really actually rose from the dead. There are many people who asked, who questioned, even then and even also now. Even you remember when Jesus, when Mary went to look for Jesus, she, she, was, she kept asking, where did you put Jesus? I want to find him. No one believed that Jesus really rose from the dead. But we have as evidence the empty tomb. They looked for, for Jesus' body, but it was no more. There are several eyewitnesses who testify to these accounts. And the disciples, courage. Afterward, that they went out despite persecution, despite huge risk as their life, they continued to preach the gospel. But I like what Jesus presented as his evidence that it was really he who he was. And he showed them, what did he show? He showed them his hands and his side. When Mary told the disciples that I have seen the Lord, I don't think they believed her. I think they thought she must have seen something else. And after Jesus appeared to, to the others, I don't know where Thomas was. When all the disciples came together for Jesus' first appearance to the disciples, I don't know where he was, but <laughs> apparently he was not with them. And 
when they told him that they have seen the Lord, they declared, we have seen the Lord. What did Thomas reply? I will never believe unless I have seen the marks in his hands. It's not only I have seen, unless I put my finger into the nails, you know, into his hand that went through the nails. I don't know how he's going to do that, you know. <laughs> he also wants to put his hands on Jesus' side. He said, unless I did this, unless I have seen it, unless I've touched it, put it, experienced it, I will never believe. You know, it's not Thomas is not stranger to Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He has seen Jesus. He has lived with Jesus. He has seen Jesus heal the sick, uh, you know, raise Lazarus from the dead. But he has the habit of asking questions. But I like Thomas. But the more I studied about him, I get to like him <laughs> because I feel like I'm a little bit like him. You know, he was the one who asked when Jesus said, I'm going to go to, you know, raise Lazarus from the dead. When the disciples said, you know, if you go there, they're going to kill you. Thomas said, let's go that we might die with Jesus. He was so brave. He, he took the initiative. And also when Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to prepare a house for you, and I will show you the way. While most of the disciples, they kept quiet, it was Thomas who asked, we don't know where you are going. It's not like, I don't know where you are going. He knew all the disciples, they don't know. He said, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus is that famous verse, that the one that we like, the one that we memorized. John 14, 6 says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I sometimes think if Thomas had not asked that question, would we have this verse, this famous verse? So let's not be hard on Thomas. But he was called in history as doubting Thomas. But he was the one with questions. He seeks to better understand Jesus. My feeling is that many of us are like Thomas and we can identify ourselves with Thomas. He asked for a proof. He wants to see the mark of the nails where he was also pierced. But Jesus, when he came the second time around, when he stood in their presence, again they are in the locked room. These disciples have the habit of locking themselves in. I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, I don't like locking rooms, you know, we always say in case of emergency, leave the doors open, you know. <laughs> we always make sure that either of all these doors are open and everything. Even after they saw Jesus, even after he spoke peace to them, even after he gave them the Holy Spirit, the disciples, a week later, they are in the lock. They have locked themselves in. And they're discussing what does this all mean. And luckily for Thomas, this time around, he was there with them. And Jesus directly addressed Thomas. It is as if he said, Thomas, put your finger in my hands and place your hand on my side. Apparently, Jesus' resurrected body still carried the whole mark of those things that he undertook on the cross. And Jesus said, do not disbelieve 
but believe. And at this, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. It is as if he kneels and he said, my Lord and my God. Thomas moved from doubting to believing. From I will never believe to my Lord and my God. That is Thomas's confession. That should be also our confession. There is great movement to diminish the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a great healer. He's a great prophet. But what do we believe about Jesus at IEC? I would like to read you from our statement of faith about what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe. We believe that the Son, who is the Word of God, took man's nature of the Virgin Mary, so that the two whole and perfect natures, the Godhead and manhood, were joined together in one person, Christ who is perfect man and perfect God, who suffered, was crucified, died to be a sacrifice not only for the original guilt, but also for the actual sins of man, and was buried and was raised alive to reconcile us to the Father. This is what we believe about Jesus Christ. Church, every time, when we come together, especially Easter. My memory about these things is about food. And I already told you about the buying of the sheep. When holiday comes in, my mind immediately runs to food. I suspect now even some of you <laughs> are thinking about food. Maybe there is dorowet. I don't know what you prepare. There is dorowet, there is thieves, I don't know, maybe raw meat or ketfo. <laughs> All of those things. I don't want, I think it will stir your appetite. You know, our wives, mothers, sisters, this, prepare this food for us. While, while women, what do we do, men? We fall, we dress nicely, we fold our hands and wait for the food <laughs> to come before us. <laughs> But let's not allow the celebration, the feasting, and everything to cloud the main thing that is about Easter. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he made it possible for us to live a new life. You know, Thomas may have asked questions. But he was one of the disciples that took the gospel as far as India. And all of the disciples... They moved from disbelief, unbelief to believe. Not only believe in their minds, but they took action. They took the gospel to the farthest corners of the world. And they paid dearly with their lives. This is the season we move from doubting to really believing. And believing not only in our heads, but also in our actions. But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The question before us is, do you believe? You know, our worst enemy is death, eternal separation from God, but Jesus Christ has defeated death. Amen? Amen. Because he says the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His resurrection gives us peace. His presence gives us peace to those who are in fear and in hiding. Because of that, we get to experience his resurrected life. He also gives us mission that we are to go and they declare the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the season. This season is a season where we move from disbelief, unbelief, to belief. May we at this Easter season reflect on the resurrection of Jesus and align our convictions and our actions as we go in his mission field by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, we bless your holy name for you are good for you have loved us dearly while we are still in our sins. You gave us your Son as atonement for our sin and he made peace between you and I, between you and us, Lord. So we thank you and we praise your holy name. Even as we celebrate, as we have this opportunity of celebrating your goodness in the goodness that is revealed to us and sending your son Jesus to die, not only die, but rose victoriously defeating death, we pray that the resurrection of Jesus would impact every area of our life, Lord. May we, together as a community, Lord, declare the messages of the gospel to the farthest corners, Lord. May it, may it consume us, Lord. Whatever mission we may have, Lord, that we may drop that and we only have the mission of Jesus in our hearts, in our minds, in everything that we do, Lord. So we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, in this moment. May you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us, Lord, as a community, to be the one to go and declare the gospel. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Malkam fasika, Xavier Ibarkach.